This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. G'day, thanks for joining us for another episode of LifeWords Q&A, your opportunity to ask David Ray questions regarding life, faith, and uh, the Bible. And it's great to have your company. Over the next 15, 20 minutes, we're going to be answering your questions. Welcome, welcome again, David. Thank you, Andrew. So three questions, David. We're looking at coveting, which will be interesting. Uh, also... Um, church and um, yeah, getting to know people. But firstly, Jesus says the poor are especially blessed. Now, is he talking about people who have little money or something else, David? Well, he, I don't think he's just talking about people who've got less money, although I think people who've got less money uh, might qualify as poor. I think he's likely talking about spiritual poverty, um, being poor in spirit. That's uh, one of the biblical translations of the Beatitudes. See, those who are materially poor, though, may recognize their need for God more than those who've made it in the world. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, I think that phrase does embrace a lot of poor people because they are, it seems, in Jesus' ministry, were the ones who were more likely to respond to his offer of mercy and help. See, Jesus was a special friend to the poor, um, he mixed with them and, and, and he got a good response from them because they recognised the need of help. See, someone who's very rich, now there's nothing wrong as we know with being rich and being successful and all that, nothing wrong itself in that. But if you're rich and successful and you've really made it in life and you're in the inner, inner group and the inner group who will power, when Jesus comes along and says, hey, I can help you, you need mercy and grace, you're less likely to sort of clutch at it, whereas the very poor people or the people who knew, or like Zacchaeus, who were, were not poor materially but were poor in spirit, um, recognize their need of mercy. So it's not as if it's not as if Jesus is saying, if you've got a lot of money, I'm not interested in you. If you've got little little money, oh you're specially best, you're my favourite. He's not saying that, but rather he's saying, look, if you recognise your need of me, if you recognise your need of me, then you are really blessed because I've got a great message for you of help. Now those who recognise their need of Jesus, certainly in Jesus' time, and I suspect it's still true in our day, are more likely to be those who have got less money, less wealth, less power, less access to um, influence and so on and so on. So I think he's talking about that. Jesus, Jesus didn't neglect rich people. Um, he, he, he loved everyone, rich and famous and poor and obscure. He, he loved everyone. But what I think Jesus is trying to say here is that 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 if you recognise your need of me, you are especially best. And the implication there and the illustration is from his ministry is those who recognise their need in me are more likely to be people who know that they're not all that powerful, not all that successful, not all that wealthy, because let's face it, money and wealth buys you success and power. And if you haven't got money and wealth, you won't have as much success and power and you may well be more likely to respond to the message of Jesus. That doesn't mean that rich people can't, doesn't mean to say that poor people always do. But I think that seems to be the general direction. Yeah, I think we're all at different levels of wealth and stuff, but we we all, I guess most of us have experienced that sensation of getting something that we've always wanted, but it always never really satisfying us. Oh, no, that's right. Material, that's why we're made for more than just material things. And I, I, guess, I guess the other thing you'd want to say about this is that um, I, I am concerned sometimes in the modern church that we focus on celebrities 
and on rich patrons who can fill our church coffers. We write books about famous people who come to Christ and, oh, wow, we've got this new convert coming to Christ and they're a very powerful, influential person. Well, well, good, that, that's terrific. But why do we make so much fuss of them um, and at the same time dismiss the poor and the outcast? See, Jesus values the poor and the outcast and those who have least little earthly power as much as he values the others. But we in the contemporary church, uh, we're all guilty of it. We might tend to sort of flatter and favour more those who can do us some good and have got a bit of money to give. And I think Jesus warns us against that. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A. Great to have your company. Our second question, David, is... What do you think the difference is between admiring someone's life and coveting what they've got? That's a good question. Um, I thought a bit about that because it can be a narrow dividing line between the two. And I think it boils down to being very much a state of the heart. What do you like inside? What's motivating you? See, someone I know might have a prominent position in a company which does much good for people. Now, I could admire that person. And I can also legitimately desire to be in such a position so I can do some good too. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I might look at a person and say, gee, gee I'd like to be like them. Um, they're doing a lot of good. Wouldn't it be great to be in a position like that? Well, that's all right. I don't think there's anything wrong with legitimate ambition like that. Or I admire, I may admire a friend's gift for hospitality. I might say, dear me, they, they welcome strangers and they're so good with new people in church and so on. Dear, I'd love to have, love to be like that so I can bless others as well. Again, don't think there's anything wrong with desiring something that someone else has. But two issues arise. One is that I may let such a desire consume me so it becomes envy. And I begin to even think ill of that other person. How dare they got the brakes and I didn't. That person got to that position in that company and I didn't. That person's got that gift of hospitality and they get the credit and I don't. And and so in such a case, I need to surrender that desire to God so he can work it for good rather than let it cause ungodly envy. So, so a legitimate desire to be in a position uh, where I can do more good for people or to um, uh, welcome visitors and strangers, as in hospitality, good legitimate desires. But if those desires consume me so that I turn against those people who've got those gifts, uh, got those positions, then that's a problem. The other issue is motivation. I would say to you, why do I want that corporate position? Um, Is it really so that I can do good? as I see that person uh, I admire doing good, or is it that I just simply want power? Um, Why do I want that gift of hospitality? Um, Is it to really bless others, or is it to show off? Is it to say, hey, I'm as as good as they are? Um, So motivation is the other problem. You see, I, I could admire someone who preaches the gospel clearly and gets people to respond, and I might rightly pray to God that he'll use me and even express a desire that he use me in just that way. Lord, I really admire that preacher and oh, I'd love to be a preacher like that. Um, well, that's fine. But then I leave it to God. I don't go um, pushing and shoving in order to get that position. I go on admiring the person, but I don't let my own desires to be like them poison my relationship with them and cause me to reject what God wants me to do in my own life. So I think you can... You can discern whether or not you are just simply admiring someone or coveting what they've got by what the state of your heart is. Are you genuinely admiring them and respecting them? Or is there a little bit of poison eating away at you, thinking, I want to be like them and I I wish I was like them rather than they be like them? 
You're listening to LifeWords Q&A, David Ray, answering your questions. If you've got a question uh, that's maybe come out of uh, that, that, that questioner's uh, question and David's answer, you know what to do. You can email David. No question is silly. No question is too tough. LifeWords at hopemedia.com.au. David, our third question and the final question for this podcast is uh, from a listener and they're asking, I've been going to a church for quite a few months now. So far, no one's tried to get to know me and a few have even bothered to talk to me. Should I try another church? You know, Andrew, this is all too common. I I hear this so commonly um, uh, that people have been in churches for a while and there's just no relationship developing. But first, before I go on to, to be a lot more sympathetic to this person, just just might what seemed like a hard word but a necessary word, I'd want to put it to a question or anyone of feeling like this. Are you doing all you can to build relationships? Are there aspects of your life and speech that are keeping people at bay? You see, self-examination is a helpful first step. I, I know I've been involved in churches which I do believe are very friendly and welcoming and people have been in folder, but other people have left saying, oh, no one talked to me, no one no one tried to get to know me and so on. Well, I'm, I'm observing that person. I'm saying, I'm sorry, you really were erecting all sorts of barriers in the way sort of thing. So so we've, we've, we've got to look at that. So having done that, and I hopefully the questionnaire has did some self-examination as, a, as really trying to build relationships and so on, Let's say you've done all that and there seems no problem there. See, some churches, in my um, experience, reckon they're really friendly places, but they're not. They're friendly to one another. It's almost as if they form a tight circle of friendship with one another. And they're not making room for the newcomer to come into that circle. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's easy enough to be friendly to other members of the church, even people say that we're such a friendly church. My point is, yes, are you friendly to the visitor, to the newcomer? Because your circle of friendship is a very valuable thing. But unless it can enfold or make space for another person to come in, all that happens is that the newcomer sees all you talking to one another over there and talking to one another over there. It's 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 like being a clique and um, an in-group and an out-group. And that's not really friendliness at all. On the other hand, some the problem can be that some church members are utterly egocentric and don't think beyond themselves. Um, they're not even aware there's a new person there. All they're absorbed is in themselves and their own conversations and their own interests and their own duties. They're not even aware of you. Others are threatened by a new person who might upset familiar dynamics. This can be true in a smaller church. We all know one another. We all understand one another. Uh, we've had a long history with one another. And what? Someone else comes along. Uh, you, you've, you've, you've upset things. Yet there are others who are shy and wary of strangers. And some people have said that to me. Oh, look, I can't go up and welcome newcomers because I'm a very shy person, to which I would say rubbish. Um, a shy person, shyness... It's, it can be an issue, but 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 it's no excuse not to be friendly with people. Um, and, and indeed, newcomers may be especially encouraged by shy members. They don't want to be welcomed by someone who's overbearing and mm. uh, talks all the time and so on. And also, I think if you're really shy and you've really got a problem, but you have a heart for people, um, well, talk to other people in your church who may be more extroverted or maybe more socially at ease and say, oh, look, I notice there's a newcomer over there. Can you come across with me and we can chat to that newcomer together? Um, see, some churches have welcoming procedures and processes and they have designated welcomers. Um, but this can be just an initial smiling encounter after which you're left to your own devices. I went to a church once when I was on holidays with my wife and uh, they had a very sophisticated welcoming procedure. 
very sophisticated, and uh, it was regarded as a really good church. Um, no one spoke to us um, because the lady at the welcome desk was busy with someone else, and so we were ignored. And then sitting around, standing around, smiling at morning tea at all these people walking past for 10 or 15 minutes, my wife and I looked at one another and thought, well, no one is making any effort to talk to us, so we're out, we're out of here, which was yeah. no big deal because we we're only visiting anyway. But here was a church that had a welcoming procedure. And actually, I knew the minister of that church. He was a fine, friendly fellow too. But but there needs to be a culture in a church where people are sensitive to those standing alone, to those who don't know others. I suspect in that church I was referring to, Andrew, that people thought, oh, well, um, Mary's on welcoming duty today or Steve's on welcoming duty. Yeah. Uh, that's their job. Yeah. And also the leader has to set an example here too. Leaders and members can be too preoccupied with church business to notice such things. I've got to say, you know, I'm not showing off about this, but... I will never, before a church service and after church service, I will never want to be so consumed with church internal business that I'm I'm unaware of a newcomer. Not that I'm going to dominate the newcomer, but I want to make a beeline for them. Um, I don't want to be too preoccupied with church business to notice such things. So read the actual question, which is, should I try another church? You know what? If I was in your position, yes, I would. Because I don't believe that any degree of orthodox preaching, good singing, good music, um, um, nice buildings, increasing numbers, nothing can make, make up for lack of relationship. Yes, it does take time to get to know people. But when this questioner is saying, as they, if this questioner was saying, look, I've been to this church for quite a few months and I still don't feel quite at home, I'd say, hey, give it time, give it time, give it time. But... When, when he or she says, no one has tried to get to know me and few even bother to talk to me, well, hey, you know, why waste your time? Because your church should be a place of relationship and authenticity um, and, and persisting in a church where no one really seems to be interested in building a relationship with you, assuming that you are not making it too hard, then I'm sorry, I would just try another church where people will actually value you. It's a good wake-up call for those uh, those of us that go to churches that are, yeah, sometimes maybe find it exhausting and mentally welcoming new people because you actually have to talk to people and uh, stretch yourselves a little bit. You do, and, and it can be a real challenge for you because, as I said, you're upsetting the dynamics. And, and some new people, some visitors, oh, they are very demanding. I, I know that, but you shouldn't, it shouldn't just rely on one person to enfold that person. But you've got to see every person who comes into that church building as as someone who is a seeker, or either they might be a non-Christian seeking salvation, yep. or they might be a, a, a bruised and hurting Christian or an abused Christian, and you've got to really, really be extra careful in embracing them. Some will always be doing better than others, I admit that, but if if uh, I do hear that sort of story that I question to put too, too often, that uh, no one's really talked to me, no one's really made any effort to get to know me, well, I'm sorry. I think if that's the sort of church, um, um, no other thing will compensate for it. Many years ago, Andrew, I was in a church where I was doing some interim ministry and someone someone joined that church from another church. And I said, I asked a bit of the story and they said, well, we we're going to this other church for seven or eight years and no one really had developed a relationship with us at all. And I shook my head and said how sad it was. And they said, oh, but there was wonderful teaching there. And I said to them, no, there wasn't. <laughs> and what I meant was that what they were trying to say was what was said from the pulpit was very orthodox 
and consistent with the Bible, but I said it was not good teaching because if there is good teaching in a church, that good teaching leads to good fellowship and authentic relationship. What you were hearing from that church was some good doctrinal lectures, but not good teaching and nothing. If it, it tells what will tell me a lot about the quality of teaching in a church and the quality of leadership in a church is how friendly you are and how welcoming you are to people who visit you. Because I tell you what, the church is in a lot of strife. We don't get many people walking in off the street. We don't get many people wanting to join us. How dare we turn our backs or be unresponsive to those few people who really do want to join us. Mm. You're listening to Life Words Q&A. Thanks for your company. David, again, thank you so much. Thank you. If you've got a question for David between now and the next podcast, you can email him, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. You can subscribe to the Life Words uh, Daily Devotional by signing up at hope1032.com.au and uh, also revisit old episodes, both at the website and uh, if you want to subscribe and get it into your uh, podcast folder each uh, week, you can subscribe at the iTunes store. It's been great having your company. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.